this, this first chapter of Lamentations, a couple things about the book of Lamentations, a little bit of context. First of all, the book of Lamentations is five poems, five poems written in Hebrew. And it's important to know, uh, first of all, that the structure is poetry, so there's going to be imagery, there's going to be metaphor, all of that. It's also important to know some historical context about these poems so we kind of understand where the poet is coming from. These poems emerge sometimes shortly after the destruction of Jerusalem and especially Solomon's temple in 586 BCE. Now, the temple was not just church, right? It wasn't just a place that people came on Sunday or came on Wednesday for Bible study or whatever. This was the center of culture, commerce, yes, spirituality and religion and faith, but also kind of the center of the identity for the people of Israel. It was more than just a building, more than just a palace. It was incredibly crucial for their understanding, their self-understanding of who they were. And then 586, the Babylonians came into Jerusalem and completely wiped out that temple and in the process killed scores. Uh, they, they looted the place. They committed sexual assault. They did horrible atrocities. And just to make matters worse, they decided to round up a whole bunch of the Israelites and take them by force back to Babylon to be captive to be slaves. So to say that the people of Israel were devastated is, believe it or not, kind of an understatement when we read these poems. This is the context from which these poems emerge. There is a deep communal grief taking place among the Israelites. So we are not usually going to read the entire poem every week because they're long. But I'm going to do so just for this first week. I'm going to read all of chapter 1, and I'm going to do so for a purpose that I will tell you about in just a bit. But before we dive into this difficult poem, I say we look to God in prayer for a moment. So let's do that. Holy One, you are with us in our grieving, in our lament. You are with us, and you, you don't always just make everything better. And we acknowledge that. But we also know that you are here nonetheless, that you are with us. And I pray that during this time you would open our hearts and our minds to what you have for us. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts would be pleasing to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer, our comforter and our strength. I pray this in Jesus' name and all the holy names of God. Amen. I'll be reading from the CEB, the Common English Bible. Oh no. She sits alone, the city that was once full of people, once great among nations. She has become like a widow. 
Once a queen over provinces, she has become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night, her tears on her cheek. None of her lovers comfort her. All her friends lie to her. They have become her enemies. Judah was exiled after suffering in hard service. She lives among the nation. She finds no rest. All who were chasing her caught her right in the middle of her distress. Zion's roads are in mourning. No one comes to the festivals. All her gates are deserted. Her priests are groaning and her young women grieving. She is bitter. Her adversaries have become rulers. Her enemies relax. Certainly the Lord caused her grief because of her many wrong acts. Her children have gone away captive before the enemy. Daughter Zion lost all her glory. Her officials are like deer that can't find pasture. They have gone away, frail before the hunter. While suffering and homeless, Jerusalem remembers all her treasures from days long past. When her people fell by the enemy's hand, there was no one to help her. Enemies saw her, laughed at her defeat. Jerusalem has sinned greatly, therefore she's become a joke. All who honored her now detest her, for they've seen her naked. Even she groans and turns away. Her uncleanness shows on her clothing. She didn't consider what would happen to her. She's gone down shockingly. She has no comforter. Lord, look at my suffering. The enemy has definitely triumphed. The enemy grabbed all her treasures. She watched nations enter her sanctuary. Nations that you, God, commanded they must not enter your assembly. All her people are groaning, seeking bread. They give up their most precious things for food to survive. Lord, look and take notice. I am most certainly despised. Is this nothing to all you who pass by? Look around. Is there any suffering like the suffering inflicted on me, the grief that the Lord caused on the day of his fierce anger? From above he sent fire into my bones, he trampled them. He spread a net for my feet, he forced me backward. He left me devastated, constantly sick. My steps are being watched. By his hand they are tripped up. His yoke is on my neck, he makes my strength fail. My Lord has handed me over to people I can't resist. My Lord has despised my mighty warriors. He called a feast for me in order to crush my young men. My Lord has stomped on the winepress of the young woman, daughter Judah. Because of all these things, I'm crying. My eyes, my own eyes pour water because a comforter who might encourage me is nowhere near. My children are destroyed because the enemy was so strong. Zion spreads out her hands. She has no comforter. The Lord commanded Jacob's enemies to surround him. Jerusalem is just a piece of garbage to them. The Lord is right, because I disobeyed his word. Listen, all you people, look at my suffering. My young women and young men have gone away as prisoners. I called to my lovers, but they deceived me. My priests and my elders have perished in the city. They were looking for food to survive. Pay attention, Lord, for I am in trouble. My stomach is churning. My heart is pounding inside me because I am so bitter. In the streets, the sword kills. In the house, it is like death. People heard that I was groaning, that I had no comfort. All my enemies heard about my distress. They were thrilled that you had done this. 
Bring the day you have announced so they become like me. Let all their evil come before you. Then injure them like you've injured me because of all my wrong acts. My groans are many. My heart is sick. I won't make you say thanks be to God for that one. It's tough. It's relentlessly tough. It's hard. And the reason I decide, I decided to read the entirety of this first poem is that it is long. And it is difficult to hear. Amen? Here's the thing. The reason why I decided to do that is because when it comes to the work of grief and lament that we do individually and we do as a community, patience is not just a virtue. It is absolutely vital. It is essential. As we enter into the work of lamenting and grieving together, grieving our communal stories and our individual stories, we are going to need to be committed to being patient with ourselves and patient with one another. Patience and attentiveness are what grace and love look like in this work. So we are going to talk about grief and lament. But for now, I want to put a pin in that conversation. We'll come back to that. But first, I want to put on my high school English teacher hat for just a moment and point out something that's very crucial about this poem. I want you to notice how verses 1 through 11, the entire first half of the poem is written in third person perspective, third person point of view. The poet is the observer of all of this anguish and is describing it for us, for the readers. The one who's experiencing all of this pain is the community that is the people of Israel. The poet uses Judah and Zion and Jerusalem almost interchangeably to name this personified community that's made up of the Israelites. And the pain is collective. The entire community, that community, has experienced all of this devastation, and the poet is imploring us, the reader, to have compassion on them, to grieve with them. Incredibly effective. But then, halfway through the poem, verses 11 through 22, the perspective suddenly switches. It changes, and it becomes first person. The poet becomes the wounded community, grieving from a personal perspective, saying that all of this grief that I've described is also mine. So we get both a communal perspective third person talking about it with a little bit of distance, and then the poet enters into that pain, it becomes first person perspective, and it's individual. It's my pain. It's my grief as well. I want to tell you about this story. Now, back to the conversation about grief and lament. 
few things that I want to say. First one is this. If we don't get to our grief and lament, if we don't get around to it, then our grief and lament will get to us. It will. We don't get around to our grief and lament. Our grief and lament will get us. Pain that is not processed is bound to be transmitted to others. A very simple way that you may have heard people talk about this is that hurt people hurt other people, right? Hurt people hurt other people. If you don't get to your grief, it's going to get to you. 20 years ago, this coming June, my mother took her life after years of struggling with chronic depression and addiction. And that was in September of 1999. And I went through what I thought was a grieving process, an appropriate time of grieving. But see, the thing is, in June of 1999, Amy and I had planned to be married. And we decided that we would go through with that plan. And so in June, I kind of switched gears and went into the full-on let's get married mode. And we got married. And it was sad, but it was also beautiful and wonderful. And we entered into our new life together as a married couple and moved into our first apartment. And, and then I got my first job as a teacher. And things were rolling along in life. But then I was incredibly angry and bitter and sad. But I just continued to push that down. Because after all, I was a new teacher and a new husband, and I had a new life to figure out. And Amy remembers this story very well. That there was one day when I was just reaching into the freezer to get some ice cubes for my beverage that I was having after a long day of work. And I went to crack the ice cube tray, and when I did, the ice cubes spilled out of the tray and fell all over the floor. And I was so angry at my clumsiness that I full-on punched a wall as hard as I could. And Amy watched all of this, and she looked at me, and she said, you know, I think you might want to talk to somebody. I think you might want to talk to somebody, because I think you're actually angry. I think you actually have some things you need to process, because you just punched a wall over dropping some ice cubes, babe. You might want to talk to somebody. And so I made an appointment to see my first of many counselors that I saw, and I sat down with this person across the desk from them, and they asked, they said, Andy, why are you here? And I just lost it, and I let it all go. And I cried, and I yelled, and I said, I'm so angry at my mother, and I'm so sad that she's gone. And that started the process, but, but it took a while. It took my, my grief and my lament getting to me before I was willing to say, I got to process this, but it will come out. That was not the only angry outburst that I had. And I say all of that to say this next thing I want to say about grief and lament, and that is that we are not designed to deal with grief and lament on our own. It's not a solo project, friends. We are designed to do this in community with one another. 
These poems are meant to connect others with the grief and, and pain of this community. And grieving and lamenting have historically been done in community. There's all kinds of, of cultural uh, routines and rituals and, and traditions in many, many different cultures around the world when it comes to grief. Now, in, in, even now in our modern times, we have our therapists and we have our spiritual directors and pastors and counselors and life coaches and small groups and, and places we go like coffee shops and, and pubs and, and other places where we come together and hopefully we get real with one another and we talk about what's really happening with us, the pain that we are experiencing, the grief and lament that we are experiencing. This church, this space, needs to be that kind of space. The next thing I want to say is that God knows the work of grief and lament personally. Now, we know that from the poem itself. The, the poet is trying to invoke compassion on the part of the reader, as we talked about, but, but also on the part of God. Now, well, they with all the talk of God being the cause of all this pain, I'm going to be honest, I think that that's theologically suspect, if not problematic. That God is the, the source of, is the reason for all this pain. If you would like to talk to me about why I think that that's suspect and problematic, let's go have coffee or some other arbitrary beverage and we can talk about that. I will tell you just, just for just a moment that I think that it probably has something to do with the evolution of human conscience and the understanding back here that if anything happened ever, it was because God did it, right? And I'm not sure we're in that exact same space right now. I'll stop the conversation there. Let's continue it over that beverage. But even saying all of that, despite all that problematic theology, the poet is still saying to God, have you seen what's happening? Do you see what's going on? Do you care what's going on? Would you please care what's going on? In fact, even more, would you please take care of the people who are doing this? Please have compassion, oh God. The poet counts on God's compassion. Or else the poet wouldn't reach out to God. We also know that God knows this grief and lament personally because the full embodiment of God, who is Jesus, grieved and lamented himself. When we read in Scripture the shortest verse in the Bible, right? Jesus wept. The reason that verse is there is because his friend Lazarus had died. His close friend Lazarus had died. And even though we know the rest of the story, if you know your Bible, if you know the story of Jesus, you know that eventually Jesus is going to bring him back. But even though that's true, Jesus still grieves the loss of his friend. God knows and cares deeply about our pain and grief because God has experienced those things. And God knows 
and cares about that grief and lament even when we are in the middle of blaming God for what has happened to us. And I don't know about you, I like to think that I'm above that, that I wouldn't blame God, but I know in my deepest, darkest moments, there are times when I still cry out to God and go, are you kidding me? Are you serious right now? What are you doing? to me. I know I'm probably all alone in that, right? (laughs) Now, in the same way that God in Jesus Christ knows our pain and our lament, we, as the body of Christ, are called to know one another's pain, one another's grief and lament. In the same way that God took on human form to know the whole fullness of humanity in Christ, We are called and encouraged to know the fullness of humanity in one another as the body of Christ. This is why Paul implores us in Galatians, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. This is our call. The work that we're entering into for the next few weeks This is where we're supposed to be, church. Now, having said that, we do need to be together in this, as we like to say around here. Yes, together in this. And at the same time, hear me when I say this. We cannot do this difficult work of grieving with and on behalf of one another if we are not doing our own personal work of grief and lament. Remember, hurt people hurt people, but healing people can help others to heal. We gotta do our work, friends. And that, that's not fun. Doing the inner work of grief and lament is, is, is not fun. It's, it's hard. It's awkward. It's messy. Sometimes literally messy. Maybe you've sat with someone who gets the real ugly, snotty cry because of the deep grief and lament, and you're sitting there feeding the Kleenex box, right? Like I say, it gets messy, and it gets ugly, and it gets real, and there's a reason why we try to avoid it. There's a reason why when I pick up my Bible, I don't immediately turn to the book of Lamentations. It's not my first choice. I don't want to read about that grief. And if I'm honest, sometimes I don't want to enter into that grief and that pain with other people because that's hard and it's awkward and it's uncomfortable. I'm a seven on the Enneagram. For those of you who know that language, you know that means that I only want grief to come to about right here on me. Nowhere lower, nowhere into my guts. Just let it stay up here, preferably up here, and then go away quickly, right? But that's not our call. That's not the work that we have to do together. And the work that we are calling us to do in this season, Lent, getting into these poems and talking about grief and lament. So having said all of this, I want to take some time to just do some reflection. 
I want to give you some time in silence to just be still and maybe close your eyes and center yourself again and meditate on these two questions, these two prompts. Where are you in your personal grief and lament work? Where are you in that? Is there something that you're avoiding? Is there something that you need to process? Is there inner work that you need to do? Perhaps there's some trauma in your life, there's some pain in your life that you have been avoiding. Maybe out of fear that if you start that work, it'll never end. Maybe ask God to show you in this time in silence what that work is for you. And here's the other thing to think through. You can do either one of these or maybe think through both of these things. Where are you ignoring or avoiding bearing the burden of others? Are there people in your life that you know you have an opportunity to to be with them in their grief, in their pain, but you have been avoiding it. Maybe ask yourself, why do I do that? Why am I doing that? And maybe ask God to show you that and to help you in that. So let's just take a few moments before we close and share the peace of Christ with one another. And just stay in the stillness and silence of this space and reflect on those two things.